quintessential podcast enters the summer phase. We bring in from the PLL Chaos head coach Andy Towers, former player at Brown, winner of the uh, 2021 title for the Chaos. Uh, coach Towers, Andy, I got to tell you, seeing you in action last weekend was inspiring. You have always had this this energy level. You have always had this passion. And I think fans want to know, like, what's the origin of that? Where does that come from? Well, I, uh, I appreciate the good words, Quint, for sure. And thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, I certainly get an excitable personality from my mom. There's no question about it. Um, you know, I, I grew up, I have an older brother, Tom, who I think you probably know of. Um, and we had a hyper competitive household and we would celebrate our, our uh, celebrate our victories as uh, as abrasively as you possibly could to each other. And I, I think that it's made uh, winning super enjoyable and it's made losing super uh, frustrating. And I certainly wear my emotions on my sleeve without a doubt. So the PLO comes to you uh, or you went to them. Uh, how, how do you end up coaching in, in this league? Yeah, so uh, when I was coaching at Dartmouth, I had a player that played for me and ultimately coached with me, Ryan Danahy, who currently is an assistant coach with Bucknell. And at the time he was coaching with Joe Spelina on the Long Island Lizards and Paul Rabel was playing for the Lizards. And Ryan had let me know that there may be another league happening. And when I got out of college coaching in 2014 uh, at Dartmouth, I had said to my wife, I, I don't, I don't need to coach another, you know, college across. I am good with that forever. High school across. I'm good. I said it, but if I get the chance to coach in the MLL or coach professionally at the time, it was the MLL. I said, I would do that, that, that interests me. And not too long after that, Ryan called me up and said, Hey, you know, Paul Rabel, I, I think is, you know, going to launch this league. And I said, well, if he does, uh, I've got a ton of interest in coaching. You know, I'm sure there will be a ton of people with resumes that are a lot better than mine that will have interest. But if there's interest from their end, there's definitely interest from my end. And so uh, Paul's brother, Mike, you know, went to Dartmouth, obviously. And so Mike did some due diligence on me with some of his friends that played lacrosse for me at Dartmouth. And I guess he got enough thumbs up about me to give me an interview. And uh, I guess I did well enough on the interview to get to get offered an opportunity. I, I will say that I believe it actually happened down the stretch and that they originally had offered my spot or the last spot to Gary Gate. And Gary, I think, accepted. But then Syracuse, after sort of looking at it, said no, you know, conflict of interest there. And fortunately for me, at least, uh, Gary wasn't able to take the position and they gave me the opportunity and, uh, and it's been an awesome experience so far. You finally won up Gary. <laughs> After years and years and years of losing to Gary, whether it was Syracuse Brown or out in Vail or in the MLL, you just don't beat Gary very often. Although you beat him a few times. I do know that too. Yeah, no, uh, uh, immense respect for you both. What, what's been mo most rewarding about coaching pros? Obviously, you win a championship. That's going to be rewarding. That's going to be a yeah. highlight. But beneath the surface, what, what's most rewarding about coaching pros? You know, I think if the thing that makes it so unique is uh, 
you know, it's similar to other team environments where you're trying to get the guys connected, but at the high school level, even college level and below, uh, you know, you still have to work on player development. You know, you still have to work on skill set development. You have to, you know, try to work on IQ development. You know, you have to try to make these guys aware of their intangibles as players. And while the challenge of trying to get pro players connected is, is the same in a lot of respects as trying to get college and high school kids connected as teams, you don't have to really work on skill development. You don't, so you don't waste time on that. Beyond that, as it relates to IQ, right, these guys have the best IQ in the sport. And so you don't really have to have to work on that so much. You know, the challenge is first and foremost, I think getting the guys to have an appreciation to sacrificing a little bit of themselves and, and, and their games on the chance that it will get us connected to the degree where we will be the team that ends up winning the championship in the end. And, and that is a really unique challenge and, and something that, uh, you know, I've really, really enjoyed, you know, and, and what I found is that like regular life, you know, if you're respectful of people and you're empathetic of people and you are uh, proactive and tactful in your communications with bad news, it's easy to convey good news, but bad news, for instance, you know, you're off man up or you're coming out of the lineup or, you know, we're putting you back in the player's pool. If you're consistent and tactful and proactive in your communications and you're honest, uh, I've found that getting a group of people connected is significantly easier. Yeah, I loved your quote at training camp uh, throughout, uh, maybe it was on Twitter or Instagram, but, but you're, you're talking to your team, you say, we're looking for the best teammates not the best players. I showed it to my daughter, who's a competitive gymnast. H how, do you, how do you effectively build a team? You know, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, you know, to me, I, I think the greatest momentum that you could create for a group is to create a clearly defined and conveyed uh, set of expectations, right? And for us, when I'm talking to my my chaos team, uh, you know, the first thing I address is that I'm going to make mistakes and, and I'm going to make, uh, I'm sure a lot of them. And when I do, uh, I will stand up and I will take ownership for that mistake. And I will spearhead trying to rectify and correct it. And what I try to create for our guys is you know, uh, a bulletized list of things that are essentially decisions that can lead us to accomplishing our ultimate goal, which is to win the PLL championship. That's really our, our only goal. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can make a decision on how you respond to things, right? You can, you can respond with a, a builder's mentality, or you can respond with, with, you know, uh, a destructive uh, mentality. And I think that for me, I wanna make sure that these guys understand that it's a decision to focus on what you're being asked to do. It's a decision to 
uh, give your max effort. It is a decision to be hyper-competitive. It is a decision to be team first. It is a decision to be coachable. It is a decision to be a steward to your teammates' success and, and to embrace the fact that your teammates' success is your success. And those things are what I would call a player's intangibles, right? Things that um, people decide about themselves that they want other people to see in them and say about them and to remind them that every decision that people make on a person is really them just looking at data points of them showcasing a quality or a deficiency. You know, if, if I respond like a baby every single time, Matt Palin and his crew make a crew, make a call that I don't, you know, agree with, that sets the precedent of us being a group of complainers. But if I don't let those things bother me or I'm like, you know, uh, humored about it and am consistent in the way that I respond to things and uh, don't make excuses myself, I would like to think that that creates a no excuses culture. And I believe that that's the foundation for getting a group connected. And when you're connected, you have a chance to do great things. And honestly, you know, when going back to that statement in training camp, you know, I meant every word of it. And I, and I still believe every single team in the PLL has the opportunity, has enough talent to win the PLL championship. And, you know, which group is willing to sacrifice enough of themselves on the chance that cumulatively that leads to the greatest connection and ultimately yields the championship. So connection, the key word there. And, and I, I, I look at chemistry as being a, a critical factor in this league. You have eight really good teams stacked with all-stars. But if you can skew the math in your favor, and what I mean by that is like where I'm running midfield with you and, and we have such a great relationship that one plus one equals three, or, or you place three attackmen out there who make each other better. So one plus one plus one equals four. Yep. to where you're really maximizing uh, the connection and the chemistry. H how do you identify and, and build chemistry amongst your units? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to have a clear-cut plan on how you want to play. You know, so on the offensive end, do we want to play an American-style offense, you know, a little bit more scripted off-ball movement, uh, you know, or do we want to play an offense that relies on the creativity and the discipline decision-making of the players, you know, on your roster, um, you know, on the defensive end, do you want to play a little bit more of a, a compact, uh, you know, sort of less aggressive on the perimeter, uh, you know, style of defense, or do you want to try to step out and, uh, push the tempo on the defensive end and try to take care of matchups and try to, you know, use your defensive scheme to create offensive opportunities and transition. And, and, and it's important that those two styles connect your defensive schemes with your offensive schemes. And, you know, for us, we made a decision last summer that we were going to go sort of all in on a box style of offense. And, in the process of doing that, you know, that gives you the map 
on what style of players will fit your system the best. You know, I, I would sort of use the contrast of, you know, you look at how good a player like Todd Curry's son was up at Syracuse, you know, so fast, such a hammer on the run, great passer, you know, unbelievable athlete in general. And, and then you have a player like, like John Donville, who's not athletically the same level as, as, as Curry, but he fits what we do perfectly where, you know, a stud athlete, a, a great talent, like a kid like Curry might not fit into what we do so well. And so we can do ourselves a lot of favors by first and foremost, figuring out what scheme we want to go with. And a lot of that is dictated by what our roster looked like when it was given to us in the inaugural summer of the PLL. You know, we had, uh, you know, quite a few Canadians relative to the other amount of Canadians on the other rosters. And we had a, you know, sort of a, <laughs> an eclectic bunch, you know, of, of players in general, where every team in the PLL, and there were six teams that first summer, Quinn, had a, you know, a connection, a built-in connection, whether it was the college that they attended, whether it was sort of the, the older U.S. world team guys, you know, everybody sort of had a, a team, right? The Whips were kind of the Maryland guys, and the Chrome were kind of the Duke guys, and and the Atlas were sort of the older world team guys, Hopkins guys, and, and chaos didn't have any of that. We were, you know, a cavalcade of misfits, so to speak. And in the beginning, that lack of familiarity, I think was an additional battle that we had to fight as a club. And I think what we've been able to do over the course of the three years with, uh, you know, uh, sacrifices by these guys, is we've been able to get connected and create an internal hierarchy that I think has allowed us to become every bit as strong, if not stronger and more unified than some of these programs that had an aforementioned built-in connection, if that makes sense. It does. PLL's in North Carolina this weekend in Charlotte. Following weekend, June 18 and 19, I'll be on the scene on Long Island, Hofstra Stadium. One of those games will actually be on ABC. I, I go back to your offense, coach. Most assisted goals last season. Uh, and listening to you on the bench, I was really, really impressed with your schematic knowledge, the, the subtleties, the nuances, the details of the way you want to run things. For club coaches, high school coaches, maybe lower level college coaches, where do you, where do you go to uh, create and to build your schematic uh, your, your schematics, basically, your, your, your playbook. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I think for me, I have, uh, you know, I, I'm the result of, of, of all of the great coaches and offensive minds that I've played for uh, growing up, but also that, um, that I've coached with, coached against, you know, similar to a lot of the guys that are in the sport in terms of a profession, I'm a lacrosse rat, you know, and I, and I always have been. And I, I remember so much about uh, games, you know, that I, I try to take what I love from other teams. I try to take what I've learned from being frustrated by the way I've either been defended individually as a player or how our teams have been defended 
by other coaches, you know, certainly coaching in the Ivy League. You know, you, you get a coach against a guy like Bill Tierney and you quickly get exposed for what you don't know. You know, whether I was the offensive coordinator at Yale or whether I was, you know, sort of the assistant to the offensive coordinator at Brown in my early days uh, when I was at Dartmouth, you know, and, and I feel like being a guy that played basketball, went to a bunch of basketball camps, you know, watch a ton of hockey, watch a ton of other sports. You know, the game is essentially basketball on a football field, in my opinion. And, and there are characteristics of other sports that tie into that. But offensively, there's, there's fundamental parts of the game that, uh, you know, that we rely on to be successful. You know, not everybody can say, hey, you know, we win all these six matchups. We can dodge any one of these guys. The reality is, you know, even on Sunday, to some degree, we weren't winning a lot of those individual matchups, even during their, even versus their short sticks. And so, you know, for us to go out and, and to try to dodge against defenders where we're not winning matchups, it doesn't make any sense, you know, but we're going to be able to, to use the two man game and ball picks and fake ball pick slips and back cuts and fake back cut jump cuts. And, and those sort of fundamental aspects of sports in general, but certainly lacrosse and basketball without a doubt are things that we try to utilize to put our guys that I think have unique skill sets based on a lot of the box background that these guys have. And we're able to play an offense that I think put some pressure on the teams in the league defensively, seeing that we're the most, uh, the most box style. Now, certainly the water dogs play a little bit of it, um, you know, but, but I feel like what we've done schematically is, is a, you know, certainly my background and a wide variety of things, but it's also trying to tailor what we do to the strengths of our players. At the end of the day, you know, I, it's not what we know as coaches. It's what our players can do in real time on the field that determines, you know, what you should be doing. And I've overcoached kids and teams many times. Rarely have I undercoached teams. But one of the things that's really enjoyable about the PLL and my chaos group in particular is that I have like part of the trick for me is, is, is trying not to overcoach these guys. And that I think hopefully allows them to feel like they're supported schematically, but not micromanaged in any way that uh, minimizes their creativity. Because that creativity is, I think, what puts us over the finish line, so to speak. But I think that schematic connection is what allows us to be better as a group than we are as a group of individual players. There is always a proprietary advantage of being a strategic outlier, especially when you're, you're in a league where, where the teams are, or, or whether it's college, high school, where the teams are pretty closely matched in talent level. If you do something a little different and do it really well, uh, I think that gives you the edge. I want to ask you about two guys who, uh, you know, I was down on the field at Albany, sellout crowd, and man, it was eye-opening to be down there to watch these athletes compete for ground balls, the speed, the skill level. 
the skip passes. I mean, everything was just uh, it was it was it was unbelievable for me. Jared Newman, uh, yeah. defender out of Providence. I, yeah. I mean, I love his temperament. He's gigantic. I don't think people at home really have an understanding what it looks and feels like maybe to take a guy like that to the goal at 6'4", 220, who can run. Yeah. Uh, how would you best describe his abilities uh, and, and, and what type of defender he is? You know, the first thing that I would say is that he is just an, uh, he's a world-class competitor. You know, Jared is begging for the top matchup every single game. And if I had to pick one characteristic out of what I would want out of all of our players, it's what Jared exemplifies so well. And that is hyper competitive spirit. He offers no excuses ever. When he gets beat, he's the first one to take ownership. And when our defense is successful, he's the first one to defer the credit to his teammates and to blaze. And that intangible, that decision to be that way, while I'm sure a lot of it is innate, there also has to be a consciousness to it. So I would say that the first thing that sticks out is, as certainly you spoke, I mean, he's, he's very physically imposing. It's 6'4", 220, really, really strong. This was a D1 basketball recruit that was going to go to Temple and was looking at schools, you know, at that level as a basketball player. And he had a knee injury that didn't allow him to go down that road, which was too bad. But it was fortunate for the people that love the sport of lacrosse because you're getting to see a guy that is still improving. He's better now than he was last year. And even though he was the PLL defenseman of the year that first year, I honestly feel like he's played his best lacrosse these last two years. And it speaks to his humility. It speaks to his drive to be the best. You know, he's, he's also a really intelligent guy. You know, you can have not only uh, sports intelligent, but also, you know, life intelligent. He's, he's super street smart. He understands how to communicate to people and with people, um, you know, and, and he just understands and anticipates situation. And I would say that, you know, where he might not have the same experience as lifers, seeing that he didn't pick the sport up until he was, I think, a senior in, at Bridgeton Academy. Uh, up in Maine when, when Strebes saw him play up there, you know, he's got the basketball sense, which is a quicker twitch sport than lacrosse, in my opinion. And I think that background allows him to be successful when he's out there playing against the best players in the world in lacrosse. We competed against some great goalies, uh, whether it was Larry Quinn or Sal Acasio, Paul Schmoller. And then as the pro league took, took uh took footing you know brian doherty and greg catrano and tillman johnson sure. i i look at blaze reardon in in that same category what amazes me coaches is uh how unconventional his style has become uh as now he's what uh, in his high 20s he's 28 years old yeah he does some things just his stance it's kind of straight legged his hands are wide his hands are tight to his chest you know we teach kids to get their hands off their chest and he does some things that are against the grain, but wildly effective. That offside low save he'll make with his blocker save, almost like he's a hockey goalie. And yeah. his ability, from what I see, from in mid-range to in tight, 
to read shots effectively is uh, it's as good as I've ever seen. How, how would you best characterize? You've seen a lot of goalies. How would you best characterize yeah. what makes Blaze exceptional? Well, I, I, uh, I would put you in that group of, of the guys that you mentioned as well, Quint. I know that you're too humble to say that, but, but, but the world would have you in that group as well. Uh, you know, I look at him play and the guy that I, I, I see his style most similar to Sal's, to be honest with you. And I don't yeah. know that position the way that you do. Certainly the body type is, is relatively similar. They're both big guys, but Blaze's hands are so unbelievably quick. Um, his positioning is, is flawless. You know, I think I was talking to my son about it, you know, when he was asking me about the game, cause he didn't get a chance to see it. He had his, his own you know, state tournament game going on and, and Blaze just doesn't waste any movement. And, and in the process of doing that, he really puts pressure on these shooters to sort of feel like they have to be perfect. You know, I played against Schmoles. I, I, we played Cornell, obviously. I played against Sal when UMass and Brown would play. I coached Cat, um, you know, and, and so like, Something that is unique to Blaze is he just is, there's just zero self-doubt with him. And I think somewhere deep down inside, he knows he's the best in the world, not only as a goalie, but also as a player. But he doesn't allow that feeling to uh, come across in any of his communications with his teammates. You know, as great of a player as he is, Quint, uh, you know, he's a better teammate and a better leader than even his his playing ability. Um, you know, he's just as, as humble as it can be. He deflects all credit, very similar to Jared, very similar to a lot of the guys on our team. In fact, that's, that's the kind of roster that we want 100% start to finish with guys like that. But you get a guy that's that good and has proven it. And, and frankly... I don't think he received the adequate amount of credit for the first two years for his play in 2019 and then out in the bubble in 20. And I was really happy that he finally got the credit that he deserved last summer. And it probably took us to win the championship for him to actually get what he deserved, um, you know, in terms of the level of the player that he is. But, you know, you, you look at a goalie and, and again, I don't have the same amount of, uh, appreciation for all the nuances of the position, the way that you do and others that are, you know, come before blaze. Um, but you look at a goalie's ability to save the ball. I think he does that better than anybody else on the planet. You look at uh, a player's ability to clear the ball. You just look at the, you know, the magic Johnson 60 yard bounce pass up to an attackman on that game of the whip six. I've never seen that before in my life. That was insane. And you look at, uh, you know, his ability to run the defense. You know, we have team timeouts, obviously, during the game. And Blaze, his insights into, you know, each player on the offensive side, uh, on the opposite team, on the offensive side, as well as what we're doing schematically, like he knows the sport inside and out as a field player. And he's in the goal here running our defense and he understands how to communicate to these guys in real time and minimize the quality of shots that they're going to be able to take on him. And he, you know, it, it, 
it, it is astounding, you know, and it's a hard thing to not take for granted, to feel like he's not going to make every single save. Um, I, I'm just so happy that he finally is starting to get the appreciation, um, you know, it, it is being looked at as one of the greatest in the history of the sport. And I, I certainly feel that way. Our, our locker room feels that way. And I think the people that know the sport at the highest level that have seen him play enough and have watched enough PLL games, you know, see what you and I see there too. Yeah. It, it becomes when I watch him play, the ball has to be in the corner to score. And I anticipate a save uh, basically all the time. You, you just said something really interesting. I've never seen that. And, and that, that was kind of my takeaway with pro lacrosse. Every game I go to, I see something that was like, wow, I have never seen that before. That was incredible. That was great. Whether it's a ground ball scrap, a bounce pass, uh, you know, a, a dodging goal. And I'm going to ask you as our last question, why should fans watch the PLL? Well, I think that if anybody has an appreciation for watching anything, sports or not sports, where you have an opportunity to get a peek behind the curtain on how the best in the world at something uh, approach the process. These guys are the best in the world playing a sport at the highest level. And I know you can attest after trying out for some USA world teams, the highest pace of lacrosse I've ever seen in my life were the two times I went and tried out for the U.S. world team. And these guys compete during these PLL games like they at that level. It is the compete level is off the charts. And so when you get the best in the world competing at the highest level, almost for their livelihood is the way that it feels, you are going to be blown away. And whether you're a longtime lacrosse fan or somebody that hasn't seen the game before, once you start to watch the PLL, you can't turn away. It, 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 it's not like uh, anything else in that respect. Not, but, but, but I think not too dissimilar to, you know, watching the Rangers in Tampa Bay last night, watching the Celtics and the Warriors, you know, watching NFL football, you know, these guys are the best in the world competing at an unbelievable rate for their livelihood and the game of lacrosse is fun to watch in general but when you watch the best in the world play as hard as they play you just can't turn away because you might miss something that you might not ever see again this these players this game really evolving and pushing the sport forward andy we appreciate your time today safe travels in north carolina uh, i'll see you on long island on the 18th and 19th one of those games will be on abc for fans it's plltickets.com Thank you, Andy. Look forward to working with you all summer. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks a ton for having me on, Quinn. Uh, I'm so pumped that you're in the PLL, and I'll see you in Long Island.